Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, in the words of NBC Sports, a convicted armed robber at 21, Philadelphia Eagle at 26, dead at 31. Alabama Pitts is what they called him. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, we're back after. Yeah, I got a little bit of some notes here. We're back. Yeah, I had to take a little bit of time off and a uh, nice week. We're back, though. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for all of you fine ladies and you, you guys out there. And, uh, you know, it's cool if you already know this stuff, but there's always someone who doesn't. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to do three things. Enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic podcast. We're presented by Billy of Sports, the Billy of Sports media all right billy up sports podcast network billyupsports.com go to it click on it check out our merch and as well as all the other shows that's out there and you can catch us as well as you know especially this show uh as well as the rest of the belly up sports family on megaphone apple podcast spotify google podcast amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, youtube all of your favorites so um you know we just got through doing our black history series over the past what three, four shows or more. And um, I ran across a story I'd never heard before. So we was talking about the, the, the black pioneers, the first 17 African-Americans to play in the NFL. And from one of those 17, the, the, one of the two Hall of Famers out of that group, one of them was Fritz Pollard. Fritz Pollard, after his career was over with, you know, he started playing in some, um, uh, uh, you know, he, he had some semi-pro teams, or minor league football teams, if you will. And one of those games uh, was played uh, by the Brown Bombers, who they named them after, who was Jack Johnson. And uh, the Brown Bombers, they had a pretty good black squad. They were pretty, pretty much trying to prove, hey, you know, we could play without incidents and things like that. Because that's part of the reason why, or, or the excuse given, as to why African-Americans were excluded from the NFL for the next 12 years. Didn't come back and reintegrate the league until 1946. And it started after the 1933 season was over with. Well, in between that time, they had some barnstorming teams and they had some of their own black leagues and, and football teams in between that time. One of them was the Brown Bombers, who were the most prominent of those squads. And they had featuring uh, players like Duke Slater and Joe Lillard. These are guys who had played in the NFL. Well, uh, one of those teams, the Brown Bombers, ran into uh, a guy by the name of 
um, Alabama Pitts. If you don't know Alabama Pitts, this is a guy who um, was a pretty famous athlete, but in one of the most unlikeliest of places. You ever see the movie The Longest Yard? I love it personally. I I like the 2005 version. Uh, The 1974 one with Burt Reynolds, God rest his soul. Okay, I watched it maybe once or twice. But I mean, I like the one with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock, Terry Crews, and Michael Irvin, and and Nelly. You know, they was playing against who? Um, Kevin Nash and Goldberg, Brian Bosworth, you know, and Bill Romanowski. I mean, that was great. Yeah, but the Paul Crew character, um, you could almost say that he was for real, you know. But it was kind of the reverse. Paul Crew. Uh, if you don't know Adam Sandler's character and, of course, Burt Reynolds, who played in the 2005 version as well. Um, yeah, Paul Crew was a guy who was playing professional football at one time, a great quarterback out of Florida State, you know, where Burt Reynolds played in real life. And uh, what happened? He, he uh, went drank. He got drunk uh, during one of his, I guess it was his girlfriend's party, who, you know, seemed to me was only with him for the money. And, uh, you know, he went on a joyride and uh, ran from a traffic stop and uh, caused a lot of damage. And they tossed him in the pen. And so you got the mean machine versus the guards. Right. The mean machine was made up of the convicts and the, and the guards played a lot of games uh, in and around the area, scrimmages and exhibitions and stuff, you know, in real life or whatever. You know, as far as the movie is concerned. Well, I didn't know in real life that you had teams like that in prison you had a team in sing 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 the famous prison north of manhattan in new york they had sports and we'll get to that in a second but seeing that movie the longest yard alabama pitts was a real life paul crew but in reverse all right in 1929 this man was sentenced eight to 16 years in sing sing prison why? Well, had to give you a little bit of backstory on that. Kick the music. So by 1929, and this was affecting the entire world, the stock market crashed and it affected the entire world financially. Pitts was no different. Okay. By that time, this guy had already gone through a divorce uh, and he, I think he had a kid or whatever and everything. And his pockets were totally on it. This, according to Josh Davlin and Hank Utley, who wrote an article uh, for the Society for Base, American Baseball Research, by the way. And I quote, June, June, 9th, uh, June 18th, excuse me, uh, the June 18th, 1935 edition of the Charlotte Observer describes some of the details of Pitt's life that led to his incarceration. Pitts was left on his own as a boy when both his father and stepfather died at 15, he enlisted in the Navy. He was all he was uh, honorably discharged, not dishonorably, after his three-year hitch as a sailor and found himself in New York alone and broke without friends except former shipmates. He tried to find a job but couldn't. Then a newly found acquaintance suggested a way to make some easy money. Hmm. Pitts agreed. He said because he wanted food, a grocery store holdup followed it netted only 10 bucks. Pitts was captured, convicted, and sent to Sing Sing for eight to 16 years for armed robbery. Now, apparently, Alabama Pitts was the source of the story. 
with some facts that were somewhat altered uh, by about $66.25. I mean, not a lot, but you talk about 1929. The New York City grocery store he hit up actually for $76.25. But on top of that, he was also implicated in five other robberies. So this is a guy who grew up, his mother had married, his father died when he was five months old. She remarries. And then that stepfather died as well. And uh, he was, his name was actually Edwin Collins, Alabama Pitts Jr. His father was also Edwin Collins, but his mother did not get him confused with his father. Instead of just calling him Junior, <laughs> Junior! Uh, he, his, she named him Alabama. He was born in, please, Alabamans, please don't kill me if I mispronounce the name of the city, Opelika. Alabama is where he was born in 1909, as a matter of fact. And so, you know, he, he had kind of a uh, difficult life as far as parenting goes. You know, you, you lose two dads, one you didn't even know. You know, you were five months old, but then you have another one that, that is out of the picture just like that. And so, you know, he goes and he joins the Navy at the age of 15. And by the time he's 18, he's out on his own. The guy ended up getting married. He had a kid. But like I said, the stock market was affecting everything. And so that was one of the things that people would turn to. You know, they just like, let me let me get that out you. You know, what's in your pocket? And he goes and he actually was the stick-up man while the other guy, the accomplice, was waiting. And I guess he was more the, 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 the driver, but not because actually after they robbed that grocery store, they hopped in a taxi and apparently they were caught down the street. So he's sentenced. To eight to 16 years in prison uh and but the good thing is there was a ram in the bush lewis edward laws this guy was the warden of sing sing at the at the time from 1920 to 1941 to be exact and he had a different look on the way that he was going to run the prison system at sing sing he emphasized the rehabilitation of prisoners not just we put you in a hole because you did something bad, you know. Even though he oversaw hundreds, from what I read in the Encyclopedia Britannica, he actually oversaw a lot of executions. But, you know, that was his whole thing, was all about rehabilitation. And of course, also, according to the Britannica, laws instituted such reforms such as the establishment of theatricals, film showings as well as athletics and he held sporting events with teams that actually had spectators from the outside the open to the public you, you could go see a game at sing sing you know, at the prison uh pitts had established himself by playing these sports as a star in a three sports star as a matter of fact baseball basketball and the sing sing black sheep football team as a triple threat halfback the guy could run he could throw uh and and he could kick that that was the that was the triple threat there and um the crazy thing is the same year that Pitts was put away in 1929 legendary Notre Dame player John Law he was the captain of the undefeated 1929 fighting Irish as an offensive lineman and he also coached the football and baseball teams at Sing Sing prison from 1932 through 1935 it really cannot be overlooked because if you really think about 
the legitimization of this team and it being coached by Notre Dame legend and Luke Rockney protege John Law, that, that kind of gave it some legit, you know what I'm saying, some legitimacy, okay, so to speak. And then not only that, not only did Law vouch for Pitts' athleticism, having played on the highest level in college himself, but it's also the fact you had these public crowds and these games, the word spread quickly about how good this real-life Paul Crew-esque player actually was. And after a quote from uh, an article that found NBC Sports Philadelphia, pretty good article on NBCSports.com. And I'm going to have to quote John Lardner, son of legendary sports writer Ring Lardner, wrote about Pitts in a syndicated story that appeared in several papers on November 8, 1934. Quoting from that article, the professional football clubs would do well to start pricing him now, talking about Pitts. He's as good a back as you'll find in most colleges. That's how good this guy was. Speedy, shifty, all of that stuff that you're looking for in a halfback. Now, Pitts was a model prisoner, which was a good thing, and he became a favorite of Warden Laws. And he actually contacted several professional baseball and football teams before Pitts was released, and he urged him, urged these teams to sign him. He had some tryouts from professional clubs uh, and he got a look and on June 4th, 1935, he actually cut his sentence short because of his good behavior and being a model uh, citizen in the clink, right? <laughs> After five years and two months of incarceration, he was discharged from Sing Sing. And this is from Pitts quoting him. He said, I'm going to prove that I can hold a place in, this, uh, in the world again. Uh, as he stood, he told the reporters this out as he stood outside of the prison, according to a UPI story. I'm going out of here a good citizen. I was young and foolish when I came here. Of course, I was guilty, but being put in here has changed my point of view about things. The Sing Sing prison team, they like I said, they played exhibitions um, just like <laughs> the guards did from the longest yard, but this was real. They, they actually played some real exhibitions against some real professional teams. And this was in baseball mostly, right? Against local New York teams, such as the Yankees and the Giants. Newspapers, you got the LA Times and the New York Times. They raved about how well he played as a center fielder. 21 career games, Alabama Pitts batted 500 and had eight homers. He was pretty good, pretty good. A minor league team, the Albany Senators of the International League, had a contract waiting after he worked out for multiple professional teams. The Senators signed Pitts upon his release for $200 a month. But there was a problem. The league wasn't always going to be for everything, okay? So <laughs> they, they weren't trying to like, uh, I don't know about this. We're signing some, what everybody has called the greatest jailbird athlete on earth right now. Or just period that we've ever seen. And honestly, in doing this show, I don't know of anybody that played in prison and then got out and got a shot at any kind of professional. You know what I'm saying? I mean, played in prison like this. I mean, played on teams. I'm sure that there may have been some. I don't know. I know of athletes that were released from prison and got a shot in, you know, professional baseball. And even some like a Michael Vick. Yeah, had to do some time for killing dogs and things like that. But, uh, and he got a second chance to go back into the NFL, for instance, you know? Um, not talking about OJ. <laughs> not, I played my career and now I'm in prison. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about someone who played 
and, and was an athlete in prison got out and got a shot you know what i mean this is what i'm saying so the problem was the baseball league officials didn't want him so he was banned it's like no we're not doing this these officials included the international league president charles h knapp and also judge wg branham he was the president of the minors governing body uh the national association of professional baseball leagues this ended quickly though the very first commissioner of baseball kennesaw mountain landis overruled them and allowed Pitts to play this began a minor league uh and a semi-pro baseball career where Pitts played for nine teams between 1935 and 1940 remember this is a football show right in 1933 while Pitts was serving time and the philadelphia eagles were established by burt bell and his ownership group they were bad okay that's, that's all we can say they were bad they weren't terrible but they were bad they needed a spark of some kind in 1933 they were three five and one 1934 they were four and seven september of 1935 the eagles gave Pitts a shot at professional football his contract was for four regular season games three exhibitions it paid fifteen hundred dollars his first game was a scrimmage against all right look i don't know the levels here but it still was college i don't know the levels but his first this, the first game was a scrimmage against west chester teachers college which the eagles won 33 to nothing i expect that Pitts played mostly on defense, even though he was a very talented halfback. Afterwards, Burt Bell said of Pitts' performance uh, to the Camden Courier Post that Pitts has shown us more ability than many of the big reputation college stars we had in camp. That's saying something. You've seen a couple, even though you ain't been in been in this thing very much. I mean, Bell did play and, uh, you know, I said, ended up getting this team. So and before becoming the, the, uh, the commissioner of the NFL, so he's, he's seen a little bit. He's seen a little bit. He, he liked what he saw. But something changed, though, in the regular season. Pitts barely played. He barely played. September 21st, that was the first game. He only got in the game with two minutes left to go, and they were losing 33 to nothing to Detroit, okay, to the Lions. He caught one pass, and he fumbled. Okay. He played in a 17-6 Eagles win against the Pittsburgh Pirates before they were stealing. He then played in a 39-0 loss to the Chicago Bears the next week in which he had a touchdown-saving tackle. There was one thing that they said about Pitts, this guy, he could play both sides of the ball and he could he could stick. He, he can lay it on you. So that was, that was something. He was a hard-playing guy, okay? Um, but not only did he have a touchdown-saving tackle, uh, he had the Eagles' longest gain of the day. He caught a 20-yard pass for quarterback Ed Storm. And this was after 20,000 fans that were at the game demanded that he get in, in the, during the final period, during the fourth quarter. And so with that being said, after that game, that was pretty much the end of his career. It was very, very brief. More of a baseball player than he was a football player, even though football apparently was supposed to be his strongest sport. You know, that was his strongest sport. But also keep in mind the times baseball was still the sport okay it was still the sport nfl hadn't caught on big time as of yet so but afterwards burt bell has said of Pitts that he basically needed more experience he did praise his hard play and his effort now according to that uh that nbc sports article uh the eagles did offer him 50 dollars per game to stay 
but he declined and he was eventually given his release October 17th of 1935. So Pitts, he did play some minor league football, as we noted in that show that we was, I was just mentioning. And um, he played for the New Rochelle Bulldogs from 1935 to 1936. And then 1936, he would finish his football playing career with the Stapleton Buffaloes. Now, while with the Bulldogs, Pitts had scored the game-winning touchdown on de December 1st against Fritz Pollard's Brown Bombers. They were 5-0. and and that gave the Bombers, the Brown Bombers, their first defeat, apparently on the last day of the season. So, I mean, that, and he was playing against a really good squad. So, I know it was minor league, but you had some guys that were former NFL players that should have got more play. Um, and you had two Hall of Famers on that team. But they, they won it 7-6, as a matter of fact. So, uh, good for him. Uh, but by uh, 1940 and 41, Pitts had moved to North Carolina. He had settled down. He remarried, had another another child, and he was working at a steel mill in Valdez, North Carolina. Um, and even uh, going back to the 30s, remember, he did play basketball. He actually started his own all-star team called the Alabama All-Stars. Didn't, didn't last long. I think it was back in 1935, as a matter of fact. Didn't last long, but he was, he was a three-sport athlete. He could play everything. But the crazy part is, before I finish this off, is that uh, there's no record of him athletically competing in, you know, school, high school. He didn't play in the college. So there was no high school uh, of any kind, in, in any kind of um, record of him playing sports in high school. He had to know how to play unless he was his first time playing was when he went to prison. He did sign up to go into the Navy. He entered the Navy at 15 years old and was out by the time he was 18. So those are kind of your college years, but you know, around there going, going into that, he probably should have been playing after the Navy, but you know, no college education that we know of. But anyway, he settled in and he's playing for another semi-pro team. June 6, 1941, he's playing for the Valdez Mill semi-pro team. And I'm going to have to go back and quote from Josh Davlin and Hank Utley's uh, baseball research article. So, on the evening of June 6, 1941, Pitts played a game for the Valdez Mill team. After the game, he and several teammates engaged in some hearty celebrating at Valdez's most notorious roadhouse. It was a service station and a dance hall located at the swimming pool just outside the city limits, okay? Now, sometime around 3 a.m., on June 7th, Pitts became involved in a dispute on the dance floor when he attempted to cut in on a man named Newland Lefevers and dance with his girlfriend. His girlfriend's name was Mildred Deal. Now, Pitts, Pitts actually had a reputation as something of a ladies' man. Um, and, and this was one, coming from one of his former Hickory teammates, uh, one of the baseball teammates, Al Kabisky. He noted that he always managed to have girls around him. Now, taking exception, Lefevers, quote, slashed Pitts with a knife, causing a four-inch gash, which severed the auxiliary artery and the ball player's right armpit. So he's trying to cut in on his girlfriend and, her, and you know, dancing. And the dude took exception to that, knifed him, slashed at his armpit, four-inch gash, hits an artery, 
So obviously this guy's bleeding. He's bleeding profusely, a lot, okay? Um, by the time Pitts reached Valdez's general hospital, he had bled as much as it is possible for a person to bleed. By 5 a.m., Alabama Pitts was dead at age 31. That's a sad ending. That is a sad ending. Now, Pitts actually, you know, they got him to the hospital and he had told the hospital staff he had been in a fight, but the truth was uh, that he had been drunk and behaving pretty wild. Actually, wildly drunk is actually how it was described. Plus, he was throwing a punch at Lefevers. Um, and so the guy actually, the judge, he was, Lefevers was arrested the next day, okay, on the 8th. They caught up with him and they arrested him the next day. Come to find out that and he was arrested for murder because my man bled out while waiting for treatment. He, he bled out apparently there in the hallway waiting on someone to get to him and he's got this gash in his arm and he died right there in the hospital. Uh, Fevers, he was, Lefevers was arrested the next day for murder but when the judge had learned about Pitts was not only drunk that he was aggressively attacking Lefevers the man was released. Let go free. Uh, big time funeral afterwards. Uh, what, over 5,000 showed up and of course, you know, his, his mill teammates you know, with tears in their eyes, they gave a little, they lined up and, and gave him a little homage, you know, for their next game. And that was it. So you have a guy in, in the, in that, in that little span that he was, once he was released from 1935 to 1941, he packed a little bit in there sports wise. He really did. He did turn his life around, but he had that mistake right there at the end. And the crazy part is, almost six years to the day that he was released from prison released on the sixth died what he was released um on june the sixth and he died on uh june june the seventh he, well, he was released yeah died, he died on on june the seventh so seven years or six years to the day you know, the man was was in the ground after having been a great citizen and, uh, and you know a great prisoner or whatnot and gained some fame went through getting a chance after after building a name for himself playing exhibitions playing in prison and playing these exhibitions against real life teams and getting um pro teams and getting all of this attention to play and he actually got a shot to play professional football as well as playing the minor league baseball. Um, injuries is what I read that really derailed his career baseball-wise because it looked like that he, he declined to continue an NFL career, okay? Um, and I don't have any record of any other offers that were made for him on the table. His whole career ended after two catches and 21 yards in the NFL. That's it in three career games that he played in. And when it came to baseball, he played with nine different minor league and semi-pro teams. And then that was it. He was a pretty good baseball player, but injuries kind of softened that a little bit. But a great story, awesome story. Why it's not a movie yet, I do not know. And yeah, yeah, the guy played for the Mean Machine at Sing Sing. They need to make a movie of this. That's it, references, references, let's get it. 
Thanks to ProFootballReference.com. Also, never thought I'd say this, BaseballReference.com, BaseballHall.org, and also Britannica.com, SABR.org, the Society for American Baseball Research, Alabama Pitts. This was the article written by Josh Dablin and Hank Utley. Also, NBCSports.com, care of NBC Sports Philadelphia. The Amazing Story of Alabama Pitts, Robber, Prisoner, and Philadelphia Eagle. Also, the book, Breaking the Color Barrier, the story of the first African-American NFL head coach, Frederick Douglass Fritz Pollard, written by Frank Foster. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy of Sports. Billy Up Media, baby. Also, Belly of Sports Podcast Network, bellyofsports.com. Go check us out. You can catch us all on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. All of your favorites and more. Please listen to this show or you'll force me to find your house. I'm out.